Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is an historic time. This is going to be a multi-year fight. Why is it taking so long to get a screening test? It is not a hoax, it is real. Something that we have never experienced before. Wash hands, wash hands, wash hands. I mean, you're the scientist, you're going to have to tell me. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. I'm your host, Bill Nye, and this is the series that brings you the latest analysis and the science of this pandemic, so that you'll be informed prepared, and calm. We are still all in this together, my friends. Now, most weeks, I start by telling you the most recent rates of infection and deaths from COVID-19 in the U.S. Today, we're looking at different numbers, ones that have less to do with the health of your body than the health of your wallet. At the height of this pandemic, more than 23 million people were unemployed in the United States. That's almost 15% of the workforce. Our economy shrank by more than $2 trillion in just a few months. Thanks to a lot of stimulus money, we're doing a bit better right now. As of March, there were fewer than 10 million unemployed people in the U.S., but that's still 4 million more than before the pandemic. And the economy seems to be improving. Our GDP is pretty much back to where it was before the pandemic, and it looks like it's still growing. But that doesn't mean we're all feeling great financially. Here to help us survey the economic damage and explain how President Biden intends to fix it is Brian Deese. He's the director of the White House's National Economic Council, which means he spends his days coordinating with different government agencies and departments to make the president's economic policies into realities. Brian Deese, welcome to Science Rules Coronavirus Edition. May I call you Brian? Absolutely. Happy to be here. Uh, Well, thanks for taking the time. Now, We talk all the time on Science Rules Coronavirus Edition about the pandemic and the lives lost and the the health concerns and the future of this thing mutating and on and on and on. But today we're going to talk about the economics, and that's your business, right? What damage has been done to the United States economically? Well... Like, uh, like a lot of elements of this pandemic, the economic impact has been unique and unprecedented. And it stems from the fact that this economic crisis is a pandemic-induced crisis, unlike a lot of other crises, economic crises, that are fear-induced. Uh, uh, economists tend to draw this distinction 
between the demand side and the supply side. So a typical crisis will be like a run on the bank, uh, uh, the kind of thing that happened in 2009 or in the in 1920s. There's fear, there's panic, and lots of people at the same time, they all pull back. And when they pull back, you get a negative spiral and you get that run on the bank mentality. They stop spending, stop investing. They stop spending, they stop investing, they get real, they, they, the panic induces fear. And the goal then is to try to put a floor under that fear. How would you put a floor under that fear? If you think about uh, you know, what we did in 2009, what you try to do is you try to, uh, you try to provide security that, the, that there is a bottom, right? So if the concern is that there's not going to be any uh, economic support, you provide that economic support quickly to give people the confidence that they can then go out, start to spend, start to engage in the economy again. Um, this time, totally different. This is a supply side shock. This is more like taking the economy and putting it in a, uh, a medically induced coma, where even though people wanted to go out and spend, the economy itself was shut down. So whereas in a demand side, you might say, I'm not going to go out and spend, uh, uh, go to that restaurant down the street. Uh, in this say, you say, I would love to go to the restaurant down the street, but I can't, right? And as a result, the impact was very severe and unique. 23 million people suddenly unemployed because all of the businesses had been, you know, had been shut down. The other thing about it that's unique in terms of the impact to your, your question is that it's been very unequal. There has been a segment of society and the economy, uh, if you are relatively wealthy or if you are digitally connected and you can work from home or work remotely easily, where this has actually been relatively stable. We've seen employment and incomes actually increase during this crisis. For another segment of society, people who work in restaurants, people work in leisure and hospitality, people who work on the front lines in jobs where you have to go out and you have to physically work, this has been extraordinarily damaging, either because you've lost the opportunity to work altogether, or you've been having to work in circumstances where you're putting your life on the line uh, in order to uh, go out and earn a living. So that's the other thing that's been very unique is that just incredibly unequal outcomes, depending on where you were in the economy before this crisis hit. What have you learned about the economy? What would you all do differently next time? Well, I think you know we've learned uh, we've learned a lot. One is that a lot of the um, embedded assumptions that we had about social norms and economic activity, um, this pandemic has caused us to question them in ways that I think will end up changing the future of work and the future of our economy going forward. Like what? Like what? Well, the most centrally, in, in a lot of employment situations, the assumption pre-pandemic was that work from home and remote work wouldn't be possible. Even if it was feasible, it wouldn't be possible because people need to be in the office, they need to work together. But what we found in a lot of industries is actually remote work turns out to be sustainable, viable, and have uh, some attendant benefits, including you can reduce commute times, you can reduce your carbon footprint, you can uh, engage more in other activities uh, uh, because you're saving that time. I think that that will change fundamentally how we think about uh, the nature and the structure of work, how we as individuals, as companies, as, as communities, as governments actually work together. Uh, I think that, that will be forever changed. I don't think we're going to just go back to the status quo before, but a lot of it was because this pandemic forced us to question assumptions that wouldn't have been, you know, wouldn't have been questioned otherwise. So we got the American Rescue Plan. Uh, then what's next? The family plan and then the jobs plan? Lots of plans. Well, but I mean, uh, so 
to, as this expression goes, tell us about that. Tell us about those. So uh, the rescue plan is the right place to start. And it was sort of, it was the foundation. We came in in the transition and, and into government in January, looking at an economy that was, uh, the bottom was falling out because uh, cases were uh, skyrocketing and we were experiencing the, the, the peak in terms of deaths from the, the, the virus. And it was clear that we needed to act quickly to do two things. One, fund and resource a national effort to vaccinate the country. Uh, and two, provide direct relief to businesses, to communities, and to families and surge that relief early so that we could, uh, we could actually start to build uh, an economic recovery. That was what the, uh, the rescue plan was about. And I think almost everybody who has uh, looked at it has said that it is, it is delivering on that intended uh, impact. It is providing the resources for this unprecedented vaccination effort, which you have talked about, others have focused on, um, that is in process. And we're surging relief. Relief has gone out to small businesses. Relief has gone out to individuals. People have received their uh, economic impact payments uh, in, their, uh, in their bank accounts. And we're starting to see some positive momentum. Now the real work begins to say, even before this pandemic, we had very serious economic challenges in this country. Uh, we were facing growing uh, inequality. We were facing increasingly uh, exposure globally to supply chains. We we're facing the escalating threat of climate change. All of these issues, uh, the pandemic has actually exacerbated. And now the president has said, he often said it as a campaign slogan, but it actually has a sort of an economic logic to it, which is we need to build back better. We need to not just build an economy back to where we were behind the pandemic. We need to learn the lessons of this pandemic and build back better. That's what the jobs plan and the families plan are about. So when he, he says all the time, when he hears the word climate change, he thinks about jobs, you know, build back better. What jobs are going to be encouraged? You know, there's an old saying that people acknowledge as unreasonable We'll just train truck drivers to be software developers. You know, that's probably not going to work. And this is where people challenge, challenge throwing money at the problem. Yeah. So I think if you start with the jobs plan, the real, the goal here is to look at where are the places where we know that high, that making public investment uh, will actually generate jobs, not just more jobs, but also better jobs expand the labor force so that we can have more of our workforce actually participating and contributing into the economy. So to get specific, one, our physical infrastructure, our transportation infrastructure, uh, both what people think about as roads, bridges, but also ports and airports and waterways. And as we build uh, infrastructure, we have to build to the future reality of our climate and our environment, not the past reality. So that means building in more climate resilient ways uh, to the reality of more frequent and extreme weather events. But it also means investing in things like high-speed internet uh, across the entire country. The economic dividends of actually achieving high-speed internet are extraordinary because what you do is you actually unlock the potential of people, businesses, innovators that today can't actually engage in our modern economy because they don't have the reliable internet that's allowing you and I to have this conversation uh, right now. Um, those kinds of investments we know We'll put people to work directly. There will need to be people who will have to lay fiber uh, um, in areas to get high, uh, internet, but we'll also create knock-on effects because it will allow more people to create businesses. It'll allow more people to get online and come up with new ideas or check the price of their crops. Um, so these are the kinds of investments that will have follow-on dividends. The last thing I will say is, 
in the American Jobs Plan, at the center of it is the largest investment in public R&D in our nation's history. Woo-hoo! And this is intended to get us back to, I knew I would, I knew I would strike a chord with you there, but it get us back to the kind of innovation and, and curiosity-driven research that we really saw the apex in the 1960s when we were focused on the space race, but we invested in research in ways that have these unintended follow-on economic benefits. We wouldn't have the internet without the space program. We wouldn't have GPS. We wouldn't have most of the lightweight materials that go into a lot of the things that we use and, and rely on in daily life. And part of, you know, the president has said, you know, we have to imagine again as a country, investing in basic research right now is an imperative when we think about what some of our competitors, including China, are doing. But it also will enable, will unlock uh, the productive capacity of our economy. Investing in research is not just about sort of inchoate ideas. It's about there are, you know, there are labs and there are universities and there are research facilities all across the country. People will go to work. Uh, they'll have an opportunity to explore and continue to make the U.S. the place where these next innovations, the innovations that will actually be, lead to the way we, that we're going to completely decarbonize our economy. We want those innovations to happen here in the U.S. and we want our you know, economy to get the benefits of those. We'll be back right after this. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's next level supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. What do you say to uh, what I'm going to use the expression, the other side, when they hear a number like $4 trillion, They say, well, that's just out of the question. That's, don't, don't. And then they start challenging all these other things that don't quite sound like infrastructure, broadband being one of them. What do you say to them about $6 trillion or whatever it might be? Well, the first on the size, I would say the following, which is you got to look at, um, if you look at the jobs plan and the family plan together, we're investing about one and a half percent of GDP over the next decade. And we're and doing that would get us back to the levels of in public investment that we saw in the 1960s when we were making dedicated public investments in order to try to achieve big national goals. 
And the president has been very clear about identifying ways that we can pay for this uh, and the ways that we have identified to pay for it. We have debates about them. But uh, in practice, we have, we've identified practical ways to reform the tax code and to uh, have the wealthiest Americans actually pay the taxes that they are owed. And so there are ways that we can uh, finance this. To your question about infrastructure, I think this is really important. You know, we can have, we, we have this uh, debate about infrastructure. Sometimes the criticisms feel somewhat semantic. But I think there's a basic common sense notion of what is it that people in the modern 21st century economy need to get to work. And the truth is, in order to work productively and engage in the 21st century economy, people need access to high-speed internet. And another thing that people need access to is care, care for their children, care for adult parents. Increasingly, if you go out and you talk to people in neighborhoods across the country, one of their biggest anxieties is they're having to care for their adult parents or an adult child with a disability like autism. If you don't have stable care, an infrastructure of stable care uh, to address those issues, you're not going to be able to product. You're not going to be able to go to work. Like, and literally, you you, you know, you are and you end up providing that care or focused on that care rather than being able to productively work. So we're really focused on these types of investments that will unlock unlock the productive capacity of our of our workers of our people. And do so in a way that it's not, you know, this is consistent with past public investment efforts that we've made as a country, and we've identified ways to pay for it. So obviously, we'll have debates about size and shape and scope and priorities. But what the president has laid out is is pretty clear headed and practical. So a question that we ask all the time, we had COVID-19. What about COVID-22 or COVID-23? What what are we going to do about the next pandemic? Well, number one, very directly in the American Jobs Plan, we are requesting resources for specific pandemic preparedness. And it's not just COVID-20. COVID-19 is, is, is mutating in real time. And the virus variants that we're seeing in real time, we're learning and we're evolving. And this is not just going to go away. This is going to be with us uh, uh, for some time. But there's a set of things that we as a country can do in terms of investing in the capabilities that we now know we should have had, but we didn't have a year ago, and forward investing in those so that we're better prepared for the next time. Like uh, PPE, everybody's favorite personal protection equipment. Yeah, but both, but uh, you know, the, the sort of practical stuff about PPE and having health supplies on hands but also having, for example, the capability to do genomic sequencing at scale quickly so that we can actually recognize variants and then surge resources and be able to answer questions more quickly. And uh, contact tracing, the mythic contact tracing, be great to be possible on your phone, for example. As we think about the next, uh, you know, the next pandemics to hit, I also think that this crisis has raised the stakes of the growing threat that climate change poses that this, this was a global health, uh, physical threat and a physical shock to our economy from a health crisis. And I think increasingly we have to be, we have to reckon with the fact that we are going to face similar physical shocks because the, 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 the climate is changing and that will happen in discontinuous ways. And so we also need to take this opportunity to prepare for those future eventualities and try to reduce our exposure to them um, and do so in a way that will actually be good for the economy. But that's that's another risk that is on the horizon, and we should take more seriously uh, now that we've seen what you know this type of physical shock has done. What about, again, the other side? So, for example, you all were able to pass the rescue plan, and we're working on the um, family 
plan with the very, very slim majority in the Senate. Is that sustainable, everybody's favorite word, sustainable, or is there going to be a rebound? I'd say a couple of things. The first is that the rescue plan itself was a immediately urgent uh, set of steps to address a, a, a clear and present crisis to the health of the American people and to our economy. And part of why I think that it will actually sustain and it will be built upon in the future is that it's broadly supported across the country. Um, it's supported as a common sense uh, measure that people recognize that getting shots in people's arms, getting support out to people who need it is desperately needed, and that elements of it that could be built upon would make a lot of sense. At the same time, we are looking to work uh, with as broad a coalition of bipartisan support as we can wherever we can find it. Uh, and certainly the key elements of the jobs plan and the families plan that the president has laid out have traditionally had bipartisan support in the country and also among uh, elected officials uh, in Washington. So we're hopeful that we can uh, we can find that that support. And so we're trying to go at that in a way where we say, let's let's figure out what we can do together. At the same time, the president has been pretty clear. I think the president feels pretty strongly that we are at an inflection point as we come out of this crisis. And as we look at all of the ways in which we are more vulnerable uh, than we were coming into this crisis, that we do need to act. And so that we need to find ways to work in a bipartisan way, but also not use that um, in a way that just delays indefinitely. I think what the American people want more than anything is the government to actually work on their behalf uh, and work in concrete ways. I just think about my parents being involved in World War II. Both of them were veterans. Everybody was involved in solving this global problem. If you had one thing to tell everybody about what we can all do to get the economy to recover from this pandemic and get the economy revving up, is there one or a couple tight things you can tell us to do? Number one, get vaccinated. Everybody, every adult is eligible. The single most valuable thing you can do to help the overall economy grow, get vaccinated, protect yourself, protect people around you. But number two, I would say get involved in things that should be unifying for our nation. We have an opportunity now to invest in our infrastructure in a way that actually delivers clean water to every American. We could do that. It's within our sites. We could invest to provide high-speed, affordable internet to everybody so that we never have kids sitting in a McDonald's parking lot trying to access their remote school ever again. We can do these things. They're within our sites. Uh, and this is a moment where everybody engaging, engaging in the process uh, would help. Uh, and we can, we can unify, to your point, these are unifying national goals that our hope is we can bring everybody around uh, together to support. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you especially for your time. My guest today has been Brian Deese, head of the White House National Economic Council. I'm Bill Nye. My friends, this is a pandemic. We are still all in this together. And now more than ever, science rules. If you like Science Rules, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. Helps us out, helps other people learn about the show, helps us find out what you want to hear about. So thank you. Science Rules Coronavirus Edition is produced by Harry Huggins and Corey S. Powell. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is Luz Fleming, who also mixed this episode. Josephine Martiran is our executive producer. Special thanks to Casey Halford. And remember at Stitcher and around the world, Science Rules. You heard the man. <laughs>
get vaccinated, wear a mask, get tested, and let's get the world back to normal as soon as we can. Carry on, everyone. Be safe out there. Stitcher. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador.